was beyond our capacity of understanding 10 years ago when a young man in Tunisia decided to take his own life by setting himself on fire. This act was enough to start large-scale protests in what was known as the Arab uprisings. Two months ago, in the impoverished city of Gasrin, a desperate and jobless man in his 20s set himself on fire in west-central Tunisia. He narrowly escaped death. Local media reported that he was in his 20s and was struggling through tough economic times. But the horrifying act almost went unnoticed in Tunisia. This is Beyond the Headlines. I am Ahmed Maher. And this week we are looking at why Tunisian society is becoming numb to the increasing number of stories of self-immolation. Since the death in 2011 of Muhammad Bouazizi, the man who triggered a revolution, there has been a huge rise in the number of Tunisians setting themselves on fire. Bouazizi died after two weeks in hospital. He was just 26 years old. Many have copied his act. Some have survived, but are traumatized and live with serious bodily disfigurement and internal injuries that will require medical treatment for the rest of their lives. Today, the Tunisian revolution is more than 10 years old, an anniversary many Tunisians are not eager to mark. There's no cause for celebration, as dreams of employment and improved economic conditions have been dashed and hopes of a prosperous future shattered. They all share the same desperation and emotions of anger and frustration. After the revolution, there are no changes. On the contrary, every day things get worse. As you can see, in Sidi Bouzid, nothing has changed after the revolution. Many feel that they are socially defeated. And many of them are no longer moved by fellow Tunisians who decided to take their own lives as an act of defiance and despair. Yaman al-Qadri is a Syrian psychologist who is studying for a PhD in clinical psychology at University College London. We observe things, people going through painful incidents or when we see an, an animal or, or something happening in the street. Because we observe it with our eyes, it, it's filtered in our brains and we, we are able to feel some of what the other person is going through and that what is empathy basically now what happens with compassion fatigue uh, is 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 a little bit um is basically characterized by both emotional and and physical as well exhaustion um that leads to to people's um diminished sort of ability to empathize or or feel compassion towards others um and it's and it's actually when you know when we observe such a thing usually in communities or in in people um it's it's a it's um i don't want to use the word you know pathology but, but basically it's some it's it's a little bit unnatural and it's like um a red flag 
that uh, we are meant to attend to it basically and 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 you see it commonly in 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 people who work um at the front lines um people who work with survivors people who work in the healthcare sector or um uh, palliative care like the nurses who work around people for example who are about to you know about to to die in their last stages so they're very much at the front line in terms of you know they're they're at a higher risk of being desensitized although the tunisian people are not working on the front lines of counseling and healthcare they seem to be experiencing compassion fatigue usually when people experience compassion fatigue is when they're themselves um under a lot of stress so if you think about the mental energy is like a bucket the more you put in it without release uh, it will flood and 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 that's not good so we need we need to offer people some sort of you know uh, release uh, or for them to be under less stress themselves in order for them to feel compassion towards other the stresses of the last 10 years since the beginning of the uprisings in tunisia have been manifold the effect of covid-19 like elsewhere has meant poverty has increased for those most vulnerable the stresses that are leading people to develop compassion fatigue are very likely to be the same pressures that lead people to self harm we have this very very basic instinct to 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 stay alive so when people think about suicidality we need to think about it we need to take it seriously and think about it as a you know mental health issue when we think about suicide we think about the attempt or a serious attempt uh, rather than whether this whether the person passed away or not so the fact that a person tried in a serious attempt to end their lives whether they were successful or not is what we're talking about so it takes two two factors from from a psychological understanding for people actually to to do that serious attempt the first factor is is the, the basically the emotional the, the the emotional one uh about how people feel uh, about themselves in 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 this life one factor of this first sphere is uh what we call perceived burden so the person basically see, sees sees himself or herself as a burden to their family to their loved ones to their to their society so um that's that's one thing the other the other factor is that that people feel what we call thwarted belongingness or or disconnection from the environment around them so the individual feels uh, unable to belong um unable to to connect that's one level the other level is the 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 capability so not everyone who is depressed who feels helpless who feels a burden who is disconnected actually goes ahead and attempts a serious uh, suicide it it needs it needs um some sort of personal uh, uh capability it could be that the person is a bit more genetically um impulsive that they're a bit more uh, risk takers um that they uh 
they're more disinhibited. Uh, so it takes it takes other personal characteristics uh, that the person who is in that very low mental state to make a serious attempt and go ahead and actually try to jump from from a bridge or something. Unofficial statistics estimate that more than 2,000 Tunisians have killed themselves or attempted suicide since Bouazizi's act in 2011. Unemployment and deplorable economic conditions were still the leading cause of suicide in 2020, which recorded a total of 235 cases, according to the latest report by the non-governmental Tunisian Social Observatory. The country has been led by eight governments since the downfall of longtime leader Zain al-Abidin bin Ali. But the issues affecting a large section of society have barely changed. The Tunisian Social Observatory says the country's unemployment rate rose to 18% by end of last year. Protests and strikes have become a fixture of daily life in poor cities, mainly in the south. But even in the capital Tunis, dozens of young men recently defied COVID-19 curfew orders at night to battle with police in some of the poorest neighborhoods. How did the revolution of 10 years ago lead to this? Masoud al-Ramadani is a Tunisian political and rights activist and former president of the Tunisian Forum on Economic and Social Rights. The stakes were high and the expectations were high and people thought that when getting rid of the regime of Ben Ali and his in-laws and all the ministers that were around him, that things are going to change so quickly. The expectations, that expectations were not met. After 10 years, quite the opposite. The economic and the social situation is getting really worse than that was, that was at that time. And second, you have to remember, I think, that people uh, usually in their scale, they would uh, think that the most important thing, their priorities, they get usually their priorities right. The first priority is get to have better economic and social condition. The second is to have their security. And the third is to have democracy and the human rights and to be respected as a human being. The, the Tunisian revolution was a revolution of dignity. And dignity means, first of all, not only the democracy and the human rights, but to get dignity through jobs, through, uh, to get rid of poverty, through regional equities, and through many other, uh, so better infrastructure in interior regions. That's what is what was meant by dignity. And of course, that side of dignity, if you like, uh, was not satisfied. And that's why people really keep on uh, revolting. And this revolt is expressed either through this despair and self-emolition, or through uh, undocumented migration, or even through going to uh, uh, Syria and Iraq uh, during the 20, 2012 and 2013 mainly. As many Tunisians look for a way out of their current predicament, some of them hanker for a time when things seemed simpler. And then, but when you talk the, 
to people, the first thing uh, they say to you that life under Ben Ali was uh, better because uh, prices were low, because there was security. And remember, I mean, those who, uh, uh, I mean, those who were against Ben Ali were not really many people. And the last time when the revolution started on the 17th of December, people have had, I mean, uh, a certain idea that things are going to change for the better. But since things did not change for the better, people will think that at least under Ben Ali, there was uh, security, prices were lower, and uh, really uh, people felt at that time that they had no worries about their future like uh, ATA things uh, uh, they are now. I mean, it's a difficult situation. I mean, when you, when you don't change things or you see that things do not change for the better, quite the opposite, they are getting worse. I mean, there is a certain nostalgia and this nostalgia is expressed through uh, surveys that you see today. People feel that nostalgia because they have experienced everything. They have experienced political Islam, it didn't work. They have experienced also some type of liberal or leftist groups experience to come back to that regime. And maybe there is also a feeling of nostalgia to a certain dictatorship as they see that the revolution is not a synonym of a certain democracy or rule of law, but a certain of uh, uh, is a synonym of a certain chaos uh, that is going around, and uh, people would prefer that type of thing. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I would say that with pain. Although the revolution brought democracy to Tunisia, Masoud doesn't think real democracy has been delivered. Democracy for me, for me does not mean that you have elections. Uh, democracy means also that you have a certain social justice. That's what people were longing for also. So if you have that, you, you say you don't have a democracy or a democracy is limited. But if you, have, if you speak of elections, if you speak of a certain freedom of speech, uh, uh, yes, we have that. For many Tunisians today, hearing or reading about continuing self-emulations seem bizarrely irrelevant. They barely pay attention to such news, as their own difficulties result in a prevailing sense of compassion fatigue. Life must go on, they shudder, even if the employment situation, the dominant mood of frustration in society, linger on. With enough problems of their own to contend with, they are stressed and mentally exhausted. Although the death of Boazizi over 10 years ago rippled across Tunisia and beyond, now the ability of the people to respond to more despair as others emulate his actions is sadly for most Tunisians beyond their scope of concern. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines. I've been your host, Ahmed Maher. Thanks this week to Yaman Al-Qadri, and Mas'ud al-Ramadani. If you have enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And if you have a few moments, do leave a review. We would love to know what you think. 
This week's episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan.